Welcome to the Eastridge Church South Campus Podcast. We bring to you the message portion of our Sunday services in a convenient podcast form. You can listen on your way to work, during your lunch break, or even during your workouts. We want to put tools in your pocket to help you throughout the week. If you would like to find out who we are or what we are about, please visit us at eastridge.church. All right, let's go. guys can be seated. Man, uh, we're going to go ahead and get this message out of the way. Save the best for last. Thanks for that, Holly. And the thing is, I can't really disagree with her either because I'm the worship leader. So it's, you know. No, anyways. uh, Hey, have you ever been somewhere? Whoa. Let me get this figured out. Have you ever been somewhere where, um, yeah, just set the tone right quick. (laughs) Cool. Been somewhere where they didn't just let anybody in. You know what I'm talking about? Like you go somewhere and and you have to be kind of like a special person, maybe a special guest in order to get in to this place. Somewhere they don't just let any, like clearly you can look around the room right now and realize that this is not one of those places, okay? Kind of a little motley crew going on this morning. This is not one of those. They let anybody in over here at Eastridge, okay? But a place where maybe you have to have your name like on a guest list or or even just kind of more broad or general um, maybe you just have a license that, that has to prove you're 18 years old so you can get into a concert, okay? They don't let anybody under 18 in. You have to prove that you belong, that they can be there, okay? Maybe it's a ticket, a ticket to get onto an airplane or into a ball game or a pass that gets you into a theme park or maybe it's just like a vaccination card that gets you into a restaurant. Ooh, just got really tense. Sorry, <laughs> I just thought I'd put that out there see how you guys respond a little bit. No, but just a place where like, uh, like some people can go, some people do go, but some people, some people don't or can't, okay? You have to prove that you belong there, that you can be in there, okay? So now think back with me. Think back with me to before you were a Christian, okay? Before the salvation of Jesus had changed you forever. Think before that, before you're a believer, did you ever have family or a friend invite you into a place like this, into a church building, into a worship service? And you're not a believer yet, so you're just standing there watching as Christians start worshiping. And then all of a sudden, it's like when they start singing, you're still just standing here, right here in the room. You're still in, in this auditorium, or maybe you're, you're at camp witnessing these people worship. And it's like you're still like just staying in this rinky-dink old shelter where all these people are singing, and they're like going to another place. You know what I'm saying? It's like we see these Christians before we were, before we were Christians. And they're singing, they're, they have their hands raised, eyes closed. Maybe some people are bowing down and praying. Some people are crying, but we're just left in the room, you know? It's like they're going and experiencing something else, but we're just staying right here. But then when you become a Christian, when you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you receive that seal of the Holy Spirit. You receive that ticket, that license, that pass, which proves now that you belong where all those believers before you were going. That makes sense? It's like they were going to this other place and worship this place that, that you couldn't get to until you became a believer. And now worship means something to you. Now when you're in this place singing with your hands raised or eyes closed, maybe when you're praying, now you get to go to this place with them. 
But what exactly does that place look like? You know, where is it that we go and worship? What is it that we experience in worship? And with that is what we're going to look at, okay? Because we know something supernatural is happening, but maybe you just haven't been able to put, put words to it. You don't exactly know what it is, what we experience, the place that we go and worship, what we join in with. Today, we're going to look at that as we look into the first window of Revelation, okay? So the past two weeks, we've, we've just given an intro, what Revelation is, what the book of Revelation is not. And then we've also seen what Jesus Christ has spoken to John, okay? So he spoke these seven letters to the churches and covered those last week. But now we're getting in to see what John sees. And remember what is important here is that we're looking, we're calling these things windows, okay? So when John is going to see different things in the book of Revelation, he's not, he's not just saying, okay, what happens next? What ha-? We're asking the question, what does he see next? And so he's seeing these windows. They're not necessarily linear, but he's just seeing these, these different realities that, that he couldn't see before, this, this revelation that the Lord is showing to him. So this is the first window. And as we look at some of these huge and intense scenes, it is an intense scene that we're looking at this morning. As we look into it, just remember and hold on to this, that John's primary concern, John's primary concern is not, it's not the how and the when this thing is going to happen. Like, what is this going to look like? Because that's typically our American Christian concerns with the book of Revelation, right? Like we read this crazy situation, we read, we see this bizarre character, and then we see um, all these circumstances, and we just ask, all right, how is this going to happen? And when exactly is this going to happen? That's what we want to know. But that is not John's primary concern. Okay, in these big scenes with big characters, crazy creatures, John is primarily concerned with the who and the why. Okay, this is who it's about, and this is why he's doing what he's doing. And so we're going to dive in to Revelation chapters 4 and 5. Israel read from us from chapter 5. So we're starting out. We're just setting up the scene. This is what John is seeing. And it is huge, intense, immense. It is vast. It is powerful. It is a busy scene. So this is in the first six verses of Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to read it word for word. I'm just going to show you some of the images that are included right here in the scene. So John is invited into a vast throne room. And maybe room isn't even the right word because it's so big. It is containing so much that maybe no room could actually hold all the immensity that is going on right here. But it is huge, vast. It's a busy throne room. And he sees a throne, which is the center of all this other craziness that's going on. It is huge. Okay, but he sees this throne. All the attention of everything that is in this scene. All the attention of all creation, of everything in the universe. Everything is just accentuating and being drawn to this throne, which is the center and in this place, just setting up the scene, it's, gonna t- it's, it's, it's a little bit, okay? There's a lot of stuff. It's going to be a little bit of time. In this place, he sees that there's just colors abounding everywhere, just bouncing off everything that's in there, bouncing off the throne, emanating from the throne. It's a place with colors abounding. And in the center, he sees the throne. But like even on top of this throne, there's a rainbow that is just crowning the top of the throne. But he says it's like made up of jewels, so not even normal rainbow. So this rainbow that's coming to rest on top of this throne with jewels shining out everywhere, colors bouncing off the things that are in that room. There's people wearing white robes and golden crowns. There's 
there's thunder rolling and lightning flashing in the distance. Man, just use your imagination with me as I'm, I'm reading to you what is all in this thing. Th- thunder rolling and lightning flashing. There's fire blazing. He sees that there's this vast sea of glass, which he says looks like crystal and all of this. The creatures that he later sees, all these natural elements, these forces of nature, all of this is honing in on and accentuating the throne, which is the epicenter of it all. He sees all the craziness, all this busy stuff that's going on, but it's all being drawn to this center throne. Now, there's actually multiple other thrones. Okay, the throne room, there are actually 24 other thrones, but they're all coming in, they're all coming in together to center around the one. Why 24? Well, 12 of them, half of them stood, stood for the, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 Hebrew patriarchs, and the other 12 would stand for the 12 apostles, just encapsulating the Old Testament and the New Testament, what's represented in those 24. So the 12, 12 Hebrew patriarchs, it represents God bringing forth his salvation, him bringing forth Jesus Christ for the world. And with the 12 apostles, it's him proclaiming that salvation, proclaiming Jesus Christ to the world. So all together, 24 thrones with all this other craziness is representing God's initiative and redemptive work among humanity. And that's just half of this scene, okay? Not even half. There's so much more, so much more. But just use your imagination. Let it run wild right here. Also within this throne room, he sees these creatures that have eyes and wings all over their bodies. Yeah, not just like right here and right here. Eyes and wings that are all over their bodies. This is like the stuff of nightmares, okay? If you saw this thing, you would run away terrified or just curl up into a ball and hope they wouldn't see you. Creatures, just not, he doesn't even identify them as animals necessarily. He just says, they're these creatures with eyes and wings, all, but they do begin to take shape, okay? There's four of them. So he says that one has the shape of a lion, these four living creatures. The first one is the shape of a lion, Second one takes the shape of an ox, and then a human, and then an eagle. What's represented in those is really all of creation. They're there to represent all of created beings. And they're actually the best of the best of their created beings. For the lion is the noblest, and the ox is the strongest. The human is the wisest, the most cunning, and the eagle is the swiftest. So they're the greatest of the great, these creatures. And actually, in John's culture and context, and even with us, like if we were to see these beings with eyes and wings huge on the stage right now, we would probably be frightened to the point of either running out of here terrified, or especially in John's context too, same thing, or they would see these creatures and feel the compulsion to bow down and fear of these creatures, or fear of their lives, bow down and start hoping that they don't see them, they don't see their face, they're just going to see them bowing into mission and hopefully spare their lives. Okay, terrifying creatures, and yet despite their superlatives, okay, despite their greatness, John sees that day and night, these magnificent creatures, they are terrified of the one who sits upon the throne. They fear the one who sits upon the throne. These are creatures that his context, his people, his, they'd be terrified of. And yet these creatures sit to the one who's on the throne day and night, these magnificently terrific creatures. They never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and is still to come. And at the sound of their praises, at the sound of these creatures giving glory, honor, and praise to the one who sits upon the throne, then it says those 24 elders, 
they all take off their crowns. They come and they lay them at the feet of the throne. And then they say, you are worthy, O Lord, our God. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And they exist because you just created what you pleased. Okay, that's the scene. And it gets even bigger. We won't go into as much detail, but later John sees that it's not just these creatures. It's not just the natural, natural elements, these, this fire, this thunder, this light. It's not just all that that's contained in this place, which is enough already. But there's also thousands and thousands of singing angels and their voices are being united with every creature in heaven, every creature on earth, every creature under the earth, and every creature that is in the sea. This is huge. All of creation is being drawn into this throne room and all of creation submits to the throne. All of creation is bowing down before this throne and the one who sits upon it, all of creation is honing in on this throne and the one who sits there, it is accentuating it and all of us, it's just receiving all these colors. It is glorious. This scene is glorious. The epicenter of it all is this throne which our Lord sits upon and that, that scene that I hope you're getting some glimpse of, that's the place that worship brings us into. This is the place we're invited into when we worship our Lord. I love this quote from Eugene Peterson. He's speaking of of that very scene, Revelation 4 and 5. And this is what he says. He says, in worship, every sign of life and every impulse to holiness, every bit of beauty and every spark of vitality, Hebrew patriarchs, we saw them. Christian apostles, we saw them, the wild animals, domesticated livestock, human beings, soaring birds. They are all arranged around this throne center that pulses light, showing each thing at its best, picking up all the colors of the spectrum in order to show off the glories. Man, I wish I wrote that. And everything around this throne This vast scene, everything around this throne is seen rightly as it should be, as God intended it. Everything is seen as beautiful and glorious, but only around this throne, only bowing down to this throne can it be called beautiful and glorious. And now listen, this is important, especially for the people who John is writing to. Okay, God's throne room, this place that we are invited into right now, the place that we go and worship, it is ultimate and it is eternal reality. It's not just future. Okay, John, John isn't writing about this and seeing this as something that will be. He is seeing it as something that is. And that's important for those people who's writing to. Because right now, they're experiencing persecution. When he's writing them, they are being killed for their faith. They're being lit up and set on fire just to serve as torches for parties for the Roman culture for their faith. They're dying And yet he gives them this scene in which all of creation isn't submitting to to Rome or to Caesar. All of creation is bowing down before the throne, before our Lord. This is ultimate and eternal reality, not Rome, not what you're experiencing right now. This is reality. Our God's the victor. And so he's, he's setting up this scene, this reality, and he says, this is real. It's not just future. We're not just waiting to die to get here. It's happening right now. And in worship, we get invited into this space. We're invited into this convergent space. So convergent 
is just this fancy word for coming close together. This convergent space where heaven and earth come close together, where they collide for just a moment and worship. And perhaps like a better word than, than colliding, it's just that they are coming together. They are blending harmoniously, peacefully. Heaven and earth are blending peacefully and stably, but powerfully together to form one voice, one reality, which brings glory, honor, and praise to the one God of all creation. This throne room is ultimate. It is the realest of reals, and it brings forth this harmony and this peace and stability, right? We say it should bring forth this harmony, peace, and stability, steadfastness in our lives. I mean, the church back then, they are not experiencing peace and stability necessarily. If you look at their situation, you would say it's not marked by peace or stability or steadfastness, but you would say their lives are. Their lives are marked by this peace, steadfastness, stability. Because if this is true, if this is true, that's, we should have that peace. Instead, if this true, if this kingdom is true and all of creation is bowing down before our Lord, our Lord, not Caesar, if all of creation is bowing down before our Lord, then what do we have to be afraid of? Man, what do we have to be afraid of if our God reigns, if he's already reigning and all of creation already knows it? What do we have to be afraid of? There's nothing. He's already won. So what if we die? That church back then, Paul, Paul already wrote to them. He said, man, to die is gain. Even though this is reality, if we die, it becomes ultimate, man. We see God face to face. We're in this place. So what if we die? To die is gain. We should have no fear when we look at this throne room. We fix our eyes here. No fear. Peace and stability. Man, the only reason that we could fear something, the only reason we could have fear in light of this reality is if we're not bound down to the throne. It's the only way we could fear. But when we do bow down, we have peace, steadfastness in our person, in our character. When our eyes are fixed on that throne, when we're bound down before the throne. Peace, stability, they come from submitting to the throne. All of creation is already doing it. Are we? Would you say that peace, stability, steadfastness are what characterize your life right now? Because they can't. Peace, and I'm not just talking about the outside, because like that church, we can experience, man, chaotic situation after chaotic situation, but in the face of it, our person and our character exudes peace and steadfast, no matter what we face. Why? Because our eyes are on the throne, because we know the one who's sitting on the throne, we know all of creation submits to him. So would you say peace Instability, steadfast character, or it characterize your life right now. It can, but only when your eyes are on that throne, only when you're fixed on that eternal, ultimate reality. I think the reason why we miss out, the reason why we miss out on that peace and steadfastness in our lives, in our character, in our person, is because we have the tendency, we have the tendency to set up our own little baby thrones in opposition to the rule and reign of that one that's already reigning eternally. 
right? We have, we have this tendency to set up our own little kingdom, our own little throne, and it's like a little tykes version, right? Is that the plastic toys, the plastic little toy sets, the plastic slides, little tykes? That's what it looks like compared to this kingdom. We want to set up our own kingdom, and that's the equivalent of it. It's just like this little tykes version, and we think it's good enough. We have this tendency to set it up, and it's pathetic compared to the rule and reign of God. And whenever I have chosen to disobey Scripture, or maybe when I was just negligent of Scripture, I just didn't know it. And so instead what I did is decided in my own mind what's right and wrong, whatever floats my boat, whatever's true for me. Whenever I've, whenever I've gone away and arrogantly disobeyed God's Word, then in that moment I've set up my own little tyke's baby throne and sat on it and tried to rule and reign over my own life. It's rebellion and it's a little pathetic. A lot pathetic compared to the rule and reign of God. But guess what? Man, nothing I ever chased after, nothing I ever chased after, apart and away from the word of God, ever satisfied. You know that? I know you know that. Nothing we ever chase after, apart and away, it ever satisfied. Rather, it just promises fulfillment, but then it leaves you starving. Man, they're like, it's like fault lines that promise stability. Come on, we're fine. Everything's good here. We'll give you what you want. Never satisfied. When you worship your own pathetic throne, you're left being manipulated. <laughs> manipulated by the things of this world. And then you're trying to manipulate others in order to attain those things. Make sense? You're focused on this world and you're focused on your kingdom, what you want, what your flesh desires. You're just being manipulated by your flesh, by the things of this world. Then you're left manipulating other people in order to attain those things. There's a pastor and theologian named Edmund Clowney. And he said, without worship, without the worship of God, because we can worship ourselves, we can worship a load of other things, but specifically, without the worship of God, we live manipulated and manipulating lives. We move in either frightened panic or deluded lethargy as we are in turn alarmed by spectras and soothed by placebos. Man, what does that mean? Not going to lie, I had to Google a couple words the first time I read that. Without worship, when we don't worship the one who's sitting on the throne who's going to reign eternally and we instead set up our own, we have no peace. Okay, we're either panicked, we're panicked because our rule and reign, our own rule and reign is falling apart. A little tyke's slide, it's breaking down, it's falling apart, we're panicked, or we're lethargic. You know, we're trying to soothe over this panic, panic with just like a, a placebo, something that might pri provide a little bit of, of psychological comfort. This placebo, we're just trying to soothe ourselves, we're freaking out, we're freaking out, or we're numbing out without worship, when our eyes are on ourselves or on anything else apart from the word, the throne of God. What's a placebo? Man, there's so many things that could be a placebo, something to soothe over your panic that you're experiencing. What's a placebo? Alcoholism. Man, if you're going through a bottle of wine a day just to soothe, just to just stop panicking, stop freaking out about your rule and rain falling apart, that is a placebo. Pornography, it might feel good for just a moment. You might want to look at something for just a moment, but it's a placebo. It's not going to do any good in the long run. It just feels good for a moment. Having an affair, an emotional or a physical affair is a placebo. It could feel good for the moment or for just a season. 
doesn't do anything, man. Gluttony or laziness, any sin you can think of, because sin, it feels good. It's soothing like a placebo for just a moment. My reign and rule is falling apart. Let me soothe it over with a placebo. Doesn't actually do anything, though. Just provides brief psychological comfort, then does more psychological damage in the long run. Freaking out and numbing out without worship. The truth is, whether you're a Christian or not, because even as Christians, we still have this tendency to set up our own little thrones and kingdoms in opposition to the rule and reign of God. For what does it mean that all have sinned and fallen short of glory of God except that we have disregarded what he said? We've chosen to do what was right in our own eyes. We've all done this. We've chosen to set up our own throne with our own rules because we thought we could do things better. I can do things better than you, Lord. Man, what an offense. And husbands, husbands, dads, men, what if you walked into your house one day? You walked into your house and they are sitting right there on your recliner, your favorite chair, with, his, with your remote in his hand. How dare he? He is sitting right there. His name's Brad. Maybe it's Brad. Sorry, Brad Rutledge, if you're going to be here today. He's sitting there. You walk in. You don't know who this guy is. You say, hey, man, what are you doing here? He says, well, I've uh, seen the way that you treat your family seen the way that you love your wife, and I'm here to tell you uh, that I think I can do things better, so that's what I'm here for. I'm here for them. What are you going to do in that moment? Like, is it not going to get violent right there? Either, either paramedic is, is calling him to come get him out of there. He's crawling out with his arms if he still has arms, right? Is it not going to get violent in that place? He's coming after your family and saying he can do this better. Women, wives, ladies, moms. What if you walk in to your bedroom one day and your bed is all freshly made, but they're sitting right there on the corner is a Karen, of course, Karen. No, I'm sorry if your name's Karen. Y'all have gotten a bad rap recently. But she's sitting right there on the corner of your bed, freshly made. Her lips are pursed because that's how they would be. Hello. So you ask her, what are you doing here in my bedroom? She says, well, I've seen the way. You raise your girls, the way you raise your kids, the way you love your husband, and I'm here to let you know that I'm coming after him. I'm going to make your kids love me more than they love you. I can do all this better than you. So yeah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, what, what are you going to do? Is it not going to get violent in that place? What in a fit? What a slap in the face to us. And yet that's what we say every single time. We choose to set up our own throne and say this to the Lord. I think I can do this better than you, God. Man, what an offense. We're setting up our, our throne already in his kingdom and his creation saying, hey, this should belong to me. Man, but fortunately, God's response is not like ours. Okay, it's, it's, it's less like beating the snot out of someone. And it's more like, it's more like the father, the prodigal son story. Okay, he lets his son he lets his son go and set up his own collapsible throne, but then he rejoices and he runs to his son when his son turns to return to him. That's our father. So right now, let's turn. Let's turn back. Let's stop trying to set up our own thrones. Let's turn to the one that rules eternally. Let's keep our eyes on this, this ultimate throne room. Turn back. 
back from our rule and reign, keep our eyes here locked on this ultimate reality in which we have to fear nothing. We have to panic about nothing. So we're going to turn back, turn back to the scene. The crazy scene of all these creatures, all these forces of nature, all being drawn to the center throne. Everything is here. All the angels, every creature in all of the universe is being drawn and worshiping and bowing down before this throne. So this is the scripture that Israel just read for us. John is seeing this now. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy? Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read what was inside. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. No one, no one, no one is worthy. No one worthy to open this thing and read what's inside as grand and as great as we make our own kingdoms as grand and as great as we think we are as powerful as we think we are. We still aren't good enough. No one is. This is why we feel stuck all the time, stuck thinking, why does this keep happening to me? Why does my rule and reign keep falling apart? Why do I keep giving in to this compulsion? Why do I keep giving in to this sin? It's because no one's worthy to open the scroll. It's closed. No one can open it. That's why John feels stuck. That's why he's weeping because no one's worthy. No one can do this. This is utter helplessness. But then verse 5. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, he has won the victory. He's worthy to open the scroll and it's seven seals. And listen, this is my favorite part. I think this part is the best part of this whole scene, okay? Because even though these titles right here are true for Jesus Christ, it's Jesus Christ, by the way. Because I think we all know that. This is Jesus Christ coming right here. He's won the victory. And this title is true for him. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the heir to David's throne. But listen, it is not like this kingly person that comes forward. It's not a lion that comes forward. Listen, it's my favorite part. It's not the image of a lion that comes forth before all creation. Not some like huge noble creature. In the company of all creation, in the company of the best of the best of all creation, the noble lion, the strong ox, remember these creatures, the wise human, the swift eagle, in the company of the best of the best of all creation, who is it that comes forward? John says, then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. He stepped forward. And took the scroll. And when he took it, this lamb, this little baby lamb with blood on it that had been slaughtered, this insignificant, just little creature, you would think. When all these creatures in this place saw the lamb, the four living creatures, the best of the best of all creation, these 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb and they worshiped. My favorite scene. And the reason why we're a people, why we can be a people of peace and steadfastness in our inner being, 
It's because we've been invited into this throne room in which Christ, the slaughtered lamb, has opened the scroll and invited us in. And next week, we're going to learn why this scroll is so significant. What's significant about this scroll? All these seals that are with it. What's written on the inside, outside. We're going to learn all that. But right now, it's just, it's just important to know that one of the things that is contained in this scroll is your invitation into this convergent space. Your name is on that scroll. That's your invitation that proves you belong there. They're letting you in. He's inviting you in. From this moment that we find our invitation right there in front of us, that Jesus Christ has given to us, all we have to do to accept it, it's really simple, and you know it. Believe. And believe. Repent of your throne. Repent of your kingdom. And believe in this ultimate one. Just believe it. Believe in the reality of this throne room. Believe that God is reigning. Believe that Jesus Christ has invited you in. That he's worthy. From this moment of belief, our lives become these little places of continuous, convergent space. Continuous because this convergence, this coming close together, it doesn't just happen when singing happens. You know that? Like worship is not singing alone. No, our lives are this continuous convergence. Our lives are like this continuous window, okay, where people look at us and they see the rule and reign of God. Listen to this, but it's when worship happens, okay? So listen to this definition of worship that I love, again, from Eugene Peterson. Because worship isn't just singing. Worship doesn't just happen when we're right here in this place. He says that worship is an act of attention, to the living God who rules. Worship is an act of attention to the living God who rules, speaks and reveals, creates and redeems, orders and blesses. Worship is an act of attention. So my attention is on this throne. My attention is on the one who sits on the throne. My attention is on the lamb who was slaughtered. My attention is on this throne room and that is worship. Worship is this everlasting act of attention to the one who sits upon the throne and it's this everlasting act of attention in every area of my life, not just when I'm here, not just when I'm with you guys, but when I'm apart. It's an everlasting act of attention to the one who sits on the throne in every area of my life. And every area of my life is recalibrated and refocused, reframed when my eyes are the one who sits on the center throne. Do you want your life to be recalibrated? Do you want to be living from this reality, your person and your inner being, having peace, steadfastness? You need to fix your eyes on this throne. Fix your eyes on the throne. It's the only thing that matters. When your eyes are there, your whole life gets recalibrated. You're a new creation. Man, do you want, do you want to be a good person? You want to be just a good citizen? Then get your eyes on this throne. You want to be a good spouse or a good parent? Get your eyes on this throne. A good friend or a good coworker or a good witness of Jesus Christ and just fix your eyes on this throne room. Order your attention around the ultimate reality of this throne room. It's more real than this right here. And it's eternal. It's the realest of reals. Get your eyes on this throne with your eyes locked here. You'll start to see yourself and those around you 
as you really are. Okay, in that definition we read earlier from Eugene describing that scene, he says that everything, when it's bowed down before this throne, is beautiful and glorious. When your eyes and attention are locked on that throne, when you are bowed down before that throne, you start to see yourself as you really are. Beautiful and glorious, only bowed down before the throne. Beautiful and glorious because then you are a child of God. Uniquely wired and placed in this moment to be this window of the rule and reign of God for all those you encounter, for a watching world. Now I love what Matt Chandler says. It's convicting. He says, there's a reason you are where you are. There's a reason you live where you live. There's a reason you go to the gyms you do, the grocery store you do. There's a reason you go to the coffee shops you do, the neighborhood that you're in. There's a reason you are where you are, but you waste it if your eyes are not on this throne. We're these windows. Man, and through us, people will see God or they'll see our kingdom. They'll see God. They'll see our house, our lawn, the things that we're most proud of. They'll see, they'll see our alcoholism. They'll see our pornography. They're either going to see us. They're going to see God. They're going to see these things. We, or they're going to see God. There's a reason you are where you are, but you waste it. If you're not angled, if your eyes are not on this throne, And so closing out this scene, the whole scene is coming to an end, the end of chapter five. All eyes are on the God who has established his throne, his eternal, ultimate reality throne. All eyes are on him. All eyes are on the lamb who was slain to Jesus Christ, who's able to open the scroll to him. The four magnificent, terrifying, living creatures. They say, amen so be it. Let you be true. Let this reign be true forevermore. Amen. So be it. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Guys, we too, we have to respond to Jesus here. We have to respond to the person and the work of Jesus. We have to reckon with the only throne that is legitimate. That's our God's. You and I, we can't say so be it. We can't say, so be it, amen, if we're still set up our own little pathetic little tykes, thrones. We can't say it then. We have to turn. We have to turn back. We have to get back. Fixing our eyes, focusing our attention, and that's worship. Focusing our attention on the throne. So without worship, without the worship of God and just the worship of ourselves and our things that we love, We're going to live a life uh, of panic and placebos, freaking out and numbing out. So fix your eyes on this throne and in faith declare, so be it. Amen. This is true. Guys, to respond to this scene, this reality that's already true for us right now, this reality that we're invited into right now, This huge scene that we're a part of, every voice of every creature in the universe is joining in. We're in there. Our voices are in there. We're joining into this scene. And to respond to the reality of our God's kingdom, his throne, to respond to what Jesus Christ has done. Right now, we're going to take communion together. We're going to take communion because in communion, our eyes are fixed on Jesus, that slaughtered lamb that came in and all of creation bowed down before him. Our eyes are fixed on slaughtered lamb, the only one who is worthy. 
We're going to fix our eyes on him. Because he's the only one who's made it possible to be in that throne room, to be in that convergent space. Only one worthy. Sinless and yet died for sinners. Died for us. Only one worthy to open the scroll which has our names, which has our invitation, that ticket, that pass, which proves we belong in that holy convergence space. Only because Jesus, the slaughtered lamb, opened the scroll, has invited us in. Now we belong. So during this moment, yeah, I've heard many of you already open your communions. Great. Have that open. Have that ready to take. We're going to have the scriptures on the screen, man. Have this moment. Just fix your gaze on him and know that you are in that reality. You are in the convergent space. Take this moment. Fix your gaze on the slaughtered lamb. Then I'll lead us in taking the elements together. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to speak with someone about the message you just heard, or if you would like to pray with someone, send us an email at info at eastridge.church. If you feel led to support the ministry at Eastridge, please visit eastridge.church give. Thank you for your generosity. Remember, no matter where you are in life, God loves you. We love you, and you have a family at East Ridge Church.